let's try that again. This is a second service. You should be awake, not at the DMV. This is church. Good morning, RCC. It's good to be with you today. Welcome everyone that's watching online and everyone here uh, on campus. My name is Ben Seaman. I'm the lead pastor here at Rockingham Christian Church. We are concluding uh, our four-week teaching series, Hero Maker, which is basically an invitation uh, to the Great Commission to fulfill the dream that Jesus gave uh, to his disciples that, he, that really he poured into like 73% of his life in his public ministry, the last three years of his life, he spent 73% of it with 12 guys. And we talked about how uh, a hero maker uh, just actually thinks about life, how a hero maker uh, sees other people, the relational shift from knowledge to uh, vulnerability. And today we're going to talk about the final aspect of a hero maker, which is to activate gifts inside of other people, but you don't know what gifts are buried inside of people until what? You like actually get to know them. Uh, Probably through the magnificent um, app uh, of Pinterest, uh, DIY projects have become like a really, really big thing. Just, I'm just curious, if you're watching online, give me a thumbs up. If you're in house, raise your hand or just give me a thumbs up. How many of you, show of hands, would rather do it yourself over calling a professional? You'd rather do it yourself over calling a professional. Yeah, first service, I guess they'd rather do it uh, themselves. I don't want, I want to stay married, so I would call a professional. I've got pastor hands, and my dad was a salesman, so if you needed a security alarm to protect you from the bad people, he's your guy. Uh, I guess if you need to be married, buried, or prayed for, I'm, I'm your man. Um, we're not fixer-upper guys. Um, before we moved to New England, Crystal and I bought our first home. It was sort of an old farmhouse that spoke when you walked, you know, wooden. It just, I, loved, I loved it. It was great. If you feel like God is far from you and you wonder if God loves you, fix an electrical outlet. <laughs> if you wonder if your spouse loves you, Invite them to go to the basement and wait. Hey, honey, I turned off the electricity. You go ahead. You can, you can change out the outlet. Let me tell you something. I never prayed more in my life in those 10 seconds, or, well, probably 30 minutes, cause, and some choice words, because I can't fix anything. But I, I knew that Crystal loved me. I, I hoped I did uh, in, in that moment. And it was terrifying. I mean, I know that she turned off the electricity, and I think she loved me, but together we worked together, and by that I mean she did most of it, and I tried to stay out of her way, but we actually fixed the thing. There's a website, as there always is. It's called HowStuffWorks.com. Here are the five things that you should never do on your own. Number five, plumbing repairs. Amen. Because that's just too personal, you know what I'm saying? Four, Electrical repairs, oops. Three, asbestos removal. Two, roofing repairs. And the number one thing you should never do on your own, gas appliance repairs. I'm pretty sure that's, you know, I think I can honor those uh, projects to stay away from those. Now, when we think about fixer-upper shows, homes, and even Pinterest, and we think about ministry, because we always think about those two, right? No, we don't. But we think about, like, hmm, can I do this, or should I leave it to the professionals? Right? We're preaching yet, right? Um, this isn't 
only true of RCC, but a lot of churches kind of go like, well, we hired staff. Like, don't they do everything? Like, that's what they're paid to do, right? I'm like, well, I give offering, and I don't have that view, right? It's easy in the church to think like a hero. Well, we paid someone a salary, um, and we're going to like just let them just work and, and run everything. But that's not what Jesus invited us to do. And oftentimes, we, we can think, I'd really like to step up or lead something or take a high-level position of leadership, even as a volunteer, but I'm not sure I can do it. I should what? I should leave it to the professionals. Well, my friends, nothing could be further from the truth. And I hope that you'll not believe me, but Jesus, uh, by the end of our time uh, together. Here's a big idea of what a blessing machine should look like, okay? A blessing, like a hero maker, requires a shift from holding on to God's blessing to giving God's blessing. Again, it's another opportunity. You kind of get the sense if you read the Gospels that Jesus is just like not really offended easily, and he just gives his life away. An uh, easier way probably to say it and remember it is this. Hero makers are gift activators. These are people that intentionally spend their lives with other people, and over time are sensitive to the Spirit, listening to their stories and say, right, our favorite, Jesus' favorite letters of our alphabet, I see in you. Here's what I see in you, even though you may not see it in yourself. I'm not even asking you to believe me, but I'm, am, I am asking you to receive it and mull it over, right? This is, uh, this is the way of Jesus. And we said there's four aspects of a hero maker. And I want to go over those again one last time as this will be the birth of something for us here uh, at RCC as we raise up elders, life group leaders, ministry leaders, all of the leaders, right? Is this that number one, thinking like a hero maker means I invite others to do ministry with uh, me, which is kind of cool to think about. There's again this complex in the church that says, I've been saved by grace through faith, but to really mean it, I have to do a bunch of good stuff, right? We functionally believe in grace, but really we live in religion. Like if we don't do enough good stuff, then God will revoke our like salvation card or something. That's not true. Jesus is not interested in you doing anything uh, for him. He is interested in you doing ministry with him, right? This is why Jesus says, I'm with you always we'll read about in a moment. Secondly, seeing like a hero maker means I see people not as they are, but where they could be. The law, all 613 commandments of the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, are there to tell you you are a terrible human being. <laughs> and you already know it. Right? You don't, I mean, if you listen to country music, you definitely know it, right? How terrible you are. Um, we don't need the Bible. We don't need religion to tell us how terrible we are. We kind of get that already, right? But the gospel does not judge us where we're at right now. It sees the, our redemptive potential should we accept the gospel, follow Jesus, and give our life away in serving Jesus in his, uh, in his kingdom. The third aspect of a hero maker is this. Living like a hero maker means I shift from information sharing to sharing my life. You need to know the Word of God. That's not what I'm, you know, I'm not saying the Word of God is invalid. Of course not. But if you read the Bible to memorize like sentences or ideas in the Bible, you're doing it wrong. Jesus said the entire Bible, Old Testament, and well, at the time it was being written, New Testament is about me. If you read the Bible and you're more 
in love with your positions, right? Are we preaching yet? Then Jesus, you're not reading the Bible for the right reasons. Jesus gave his life away, living, as we talked about last week, diatribo, shoulder-to-shoulder life with other people. And the fourth and final aspect of a hero maker is this, a hero maker is a gift activator, right? They don't just invite people to learn how to lead a life group for like as an example. Over time, as they're doing that, they say, hey, I see this in you. You would be a great life group leader for X, Y, and Z. For the last time in this series, I want to read again Jesus's command, not a good idea, not a hallmark card. It's an expectation that Jesus has for the church. And there are some sermon series like I'm going to do in a few weeks called Religion Ruins Everything, which I'll spend five weeks in Romans on grace. And, and, and that's fine. That's okay to come and hear a sermon series on grace and feel good. Like that, that's, yeah, our God's awesome. But this is a series that requires action. It's not enough to say, Ben, good sermon. As somebody said that after the first service, I said, great. When are we going to do this as a church? When are we going to start fulfilling the Great Commission? When the vaccine is readily available to everybody? Why are we waiting? This is an expectation that Jesus has of the local church, the big C church, actually. Jesus says this, guys, come here. Go and make disciples. Turn pupils, which you were, into teachers. Shift from student to teacher. And like I told you guys like a couple weeks ago, you're going to do greater things than me. There's a reason why I never baptized anybody, Peter, because I wanted you to do it. I wanted you to get hooked on ministry. And after you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I want you to teach them. Well, what do we teach them? We don't know enough about the Torah, Jesus. Oh, Remember the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, start there. That would probably give you a lifetime of stuff to fill time with and having conversations with people. And hey, don't freak out. I'm going to be with you to the very end of your life. I will be with you. Notice this church doing ministry with you because I want you to walk and do ministry with me. Now, before Jesus ascends into heaven, which would be a really cool thing to see, right? Something out of like a Netflix show. Um, he blesses his disciples. And in Luke uh, 24, 50 through 51, uh, Jesus lets us see what this blessing looks like. Luke says, when he had led them to the vicinity of Bethany, which is the town that Jesus went to, Mary and Martha uh, washing feet. This was the last town that Jesus went to before he walked. I think it's like like two, maybe two to 12 miles. It's a day's journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. So Bethany is a big deal when you read your Bible because that means Jesus is getting closer to his death, burial, and resurrection. He lifted up his hands uh, and and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Now, blessing is a major theme of your Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, it is not like, unfortunately, like, a lot of he- like I hear a lot of times from current pastors where um, they guilt you into, if you want the Lord's blessing, you have to do these things or buy my new book that I just wrote, right? We preaching yet? You know, that, that's, not, that's not what God's talking about, blessing. You're blessed because you've accepted the gospel. Anything else is just cherry uh, on top. You know, I don't think as a, as a culture, like a church culture, because I wouldn't expect non-Christians to do this, although they, they might, I don't think as a church culture we, we know how to bless people. You know what I'm saying? I think we know how to compliment people. 
Oh, Susie, that's such a cute sweater. I'm so glad you got that. You look great. Let's go get coffee. Or your kid's so smart. They can be whatever they want. Yeah, that's a lie. You know that. Come on. You can't be whatever you want when you grow up. Right? Are we, are we nervous yet? Okay. okay. I'm, I'm trying to get you there. Yeah, we, we know how to compliment each other, but I don't know if we know how to bless each other. That's a weightier... Like, that's something that, like, when you're a kid, and 20 years later, when you're, like, married and maybe starting your own family, you go, I remember that time. I remember that time where a group of people laid their hands on me and said something over my life that I didn't believe, but I was willing to receive it at the time. It's almost like, oh, I remember when I was baptized. I remember that church. I remember the person that baptized me. Uh, For me, I remember how stinking cold the water was. Uh, my dad back. I, I, I remember those moments. Uh, next week, our um, family pastor, Andrew, is going to start a, a three-week series uh, called It's Just a Phase, where we're going to roll out. We were going to do this last year, but Rona, we, uh, we're going to roll out family milestones where the church is going to come alongside mom and dad and your kiddos and grandparents, and grand, uh, grandparents, your grandkids as well. Specific moments in your child's life where mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, whoever is the guardian of the child, will be able to speak, write, and pray a blessing over your child's life. We need that more than we need compliments, right? We need blessings spoken over us, sung over us, prayed over us. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament professor, gives us really wicked, awesome I'm a New England pastor. I can say that now. <laughs> Definition of blessing. Thank you. Uh, please give to the local church if you have. He says the capacity to transmit, this is def- his definition of blessing. He's a smart guy, so I think he's telling the truth. The capacity to transmit energy and power for life from one to another. That's awesome. So there's not only this energy, there's a synergy that Brueggemann is talking about when I ask you know, uh, Brian or a Mario to, hey, why don't you come with me and let's disciple five guys at RCC and over time invest in them and spur them on to start a men's group. And there's this like, this is why um, I'm a pastor and my wife's an artist. We don't like or get math, okay? Like we pay someone to do our taxes. Math is boring. Numbers are boring to us, okay? We're okay with gray and like jazz music when life doesn't, um, when life doesn't resolve. And I go on a tangent. I completely forgot what I'm saying, but here we are. And I'm going to keep going, right? Um, he, he, here's the deal, friends. There's an unexplained energy and synergy when Jesus followers are pouring into other people. Some are Jesus followers. Some aren't, but they're curious, they're not necessarily convinced yet, but they're, they're willing to listen to what you got to say, right? And that's what Brigham is saying. There's this beautiful energy that happens when you invest in people, when you uh, pray and speak a blessing over their lives, and you, you, you grab something deep in their bones that has been untouched. Probably because over, you know, I don't know what, 12, 24 months of you investing in them, you actually get to know who they are. So their brokenness, their family of origin, what frustrates them, what uh, excites them. Over time, as a hero maker, you're able to draw that out of them. You don't force it out of them. That's abusive. (laughs) But you draw it out of them, right? And you're able to say, this is what I see in you. 1 Timothy 
In chapter 4, verse 14, Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is probably 25 to 28, which is kind of cool. He's a college kid. He makes it in the Bible. Uh, and he's planting churches in Ephesus, which is like our Las Vegas. You know what I'm saying? So young single guy, good looking dude, planting churches in Ephesus. And if you remember anything about Ephesus from the seven churches, it's incredibly wealthy and you can get very creative when you sin. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, do not neglect your gift. That's a word pastors need to hear <laughs> in a pandemic. Planting churches in a city where you're trying to convince and persuade people that God's love is real and not all Christians act the way you think they act, whatever that is. Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't neglect your gift, Timothy. Hone in on the craft of preaching. Hone in on the craft of discipling other people. Church, this is what he's telling us. Don't, don't give up on being a hero maker. Don't settle for churches showing up for a 60-minute service, and that's it. That's not what Jesus is into. Jesus is into doing life-on-life -life relationships. And I would imagine for a guy, think about this. Um, if, you've ever, if, if you're at an age where your kid's gone off to college and maybe starting their first job and they don't move back home, imagine Timothy being 25, 28, 31, somewhere around there, and he's single, living in a very affluent city, and um, he's a human. And Paul writes this letter and says, don't give up. Don't neglect your gift. Now, here's the mastery of what Paul does. He says this, which was given, which was given to you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I remember when I was in, um, I don't know, sophomore, junior of high school, uh, some of the adult leaders in my youth group and elders and their wives and different people in the church were like, hey, um, have you ever thought about going into ministry? I'm like, I don't, I don't how much does that pay? I don't want to do that, right? <laughs> and and I, I didn't know that I, I should... It, I didn't know if I should consider that. But those men and women were close to the Lord, watching me, investing in me, and said, hey, here's a gift-activating idea. Do whatever you want with it. Here's a photo of me uh, preaching at my brother's ordination. You can laugh. This is when I thought a goatee was a good idea. It wasn't. Uh, this is my home church, White Oak Christian Church, and um, I've shared, I'm a pretty open guy. I'm not really into like, you know, I, I don't think pastors should be like distant. I'm just a regular guy, okay? And if you think I'm high and mighty, take me out to dinner, medium rare if you're asking, and I'll share my flaws with you. But when my parents divorced, Graham was in eighth grade going into high school. So what? Who cares? Well, here's the deal. In the Cincinnati public school system, before you walked into the doors, you had to walk through a metal detector. So we went to Christian, Christian, that's a whole other conversation for later, we went to Christian schools. When my parents divorced, Graham was going from eighth grade to a class of, you ready for this, 15? Some of you, our life groups are 15 people. Uh, going from a class of 15 to a high school, Coleraine High School, which is just down the road from this church, I think the senior class at the time was like two, 300 kids massive, massive school. And I wondered when I was at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, how my brother was doing. Guys, 
you, you know that that age is hell, right? Between 13 and 18, trying to figure out what it means to be a man. Uh, my, my dad was, you know, giving over to his substance abuse. I don't, I don't blame him. There, there is a demonic thing that happens in addiction where it overtakes you. And I, I do believe in some part you, you do give up the will to choose. Sometimes you give up the will to live. And I wondered what my little brother was going through. And I wanted to be a hero, right? I wanted to drive 10 hours and say, I'm going to save my brother. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Nathan, the middle the middle brother uh, was um, home from college in Tennessee with the Johnson Bible College in Knoxville. And he was home at my home church uh, doing an internship, and he was there to help guide Graham along the way. Fast forward um, about nine, eight, nine years, and this photo is a reality. This is Graham. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done this. I just said I want to be vulnerable, so if I cry, I cry, deal with it. This is Graham uh, on his uh, right or left knee, and myself, and I've got a big head, so I'm blocking Nathan behind me, but you can see his little hand on my, on my coat, one of the few times you'll see me in a suit. And these men um, were, at the time, uh, elders at White Oak Christian Church. And what you don't see uh, are the elders' wives, the pastors at my church, the men, the women, and um, the high school students that went to high school with Graham at Graham's ordination service. And an ordination service is basically go to Bible college, get your piece of paper, but you come back to the church for the good stuff. Not always, but you go back to your home church, and an ordination service is basically as a group of elders, as a church staff, we affirm that Graham loves Jesus, and he's fit for ministry, and if given the opportunity, you should hire him. Look at this picture, church. I'm dead serious. This photo does not happen if White Oak Christian Church is a bunch of heroes. Let me say that again and pay attention. This photo does not happen if White Oak Christian Church, go back to the previous one, if, this, if, if White Oak Christian Church is full of heroes and not hero makers. These men and the women that you don't see poured their life into Graham. They remember when Graham was running around in diapers, sorry, Graham, in the kids' ministry area. They remember the awkward, as they all are, the awkward phase in middle school. And they remember Graham coming into manhood and young adulthood, and yet they still affirmed him. They walked alongside him when my parents divorced and everything that we knew was going on at the house. You know, when you, when you try to, like, well... When you put a friend underwater over time, they're like, I kind of want to breathe, and they come up. That's what happens with our sin and our brokenness. Eventually, it comes up for air. We all knew that what was going on, um, but my church was like, oh my gosh, this is not Mike and Debbie, right? And my dad would pick up the phone when um, he wasn't um, bruised enough, you know, guys, because when you play drums at a church of 1,500 and everyone finds out that you're an alcoholic and a cocaine addict, you kind of don't want to pick up the phone when a pastor calls, you know, or an elder. And so as much as my dad was willing, which wasn't much at the beginning, it, today it's different, um, he reached out. And this photo, I'm telling you, this doesn't happen if people aren't willing to invest in other people. And here's the last photo. This is a photo of Graham leading worship. He's a creative arts pastor at Next Level Church. Uh, Americans care about this. Graham doesn't, but it's one of the fastest growing churches in America. And Summersworth, it's like an hour north 
of here. Um, the, the cool thing about this photo is Graham is introducing a song uh, to the church that he and his, his band, his team, wrote. They actually just, re- I think a couple months ago, during lockdown at some point, you know, everything runs together. Uh, they wrote an entire album. Listen, church, listen to me right now. That kid does not lead worship if people don't invest in him. And people tell me all the time, like, your brothers are in ministry? How did that happen? I have no idea, except for the fact that there were men and women at White Oak Christian Church that were willing to get gut-level honest with us and can the religious crap, and you're supposed to act a certain way at church, they were willing to get in the muck and mire with us. They are willing to sit with us, cry with us, um, discipline us when we were being a jerk to our parents in the middle of all of that that was going on. This is the power of a church full of hero makers, my friends. And I don't want you to answer this, but I want you to think about it. Are, are we going to be this kind of church? Or is this just a, like a sort of like a subjective sort of, you know, it is a great idea because it's Jesus' idea, the Great Commission, or is this something like we're actually going to do? And we were going to do this series um, March of last year, but, you know, the world happened. Um, but this is something we're going to develop over the next year, this leadership pipeline. We're going to pump out elders. We're going to pump out life group leaders, worship leaders, um, ministry leaders. This, this is going to be the part of um, how we're going to develop people at RCC. This is not a theory. Let me tell you something, church. We need, let me say it this way. Jesus doesn't want to go to a friendly church, right? Any church can be friendly. Jesus wants to go to a church of friends, people that are willing to do life, not be socially polite for 45 to 60 minutes on a Sunday, but people that are actually willing to do life with one another. Let me um, show you a photo of rivers and ponds. Now, what does that have to do with, um, well, everything, actually, because a pond is, is okay, it, but it just, the pond exists to retain water over time. It's not really useful, but rivers are meant to flow, right? Rivers are meant to flow into oceans and flow into other people. Interesting enough, Jesus, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, see this, which is also why I love scripture. You just keep reading the thing and finding different things. In John seven thirty eight, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So what? Who cares? You do. Here's why. 600 years? This is wild. 600 years. Also one of the reasons why I like the Bible, historical accuracy. Uh, 600 years before Jesus comes onto the scene, Ezekiel, or I like to call him Eze, has a dream, has a dream of a river that um, flows from the steps of the temple, which is in Jerusalem, right? And the river goes eventually into the Dead Sea. Now, can anything live in the Dead Sea? Answer, no. It's in the name, the Dead Sea, right? Too much salt. And so it's this dream of how can something give life to something when it's perceived to be dead? And here's the dream that Easy E had. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the, where the river flows, everything will live. You're not ready for this. Blew my mind. Acts 2. Peter drops the hammer. 
It's the birthday of the church. Theologians call this Pentecost. Jesus, or Jesus, Peter's preaching this sermon. Hey, remember Jesus, the guy you killed? Yeah, that was God. Oh, man. In the text reads, they were cut to the heart. I love that phrase, cut to the heart. It's the, um, in the Greek, it's a visualization of like two people taking a saw, you know, like two woodsmen or woodspersons, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And that's the beauty and the richness of preaching, if you're leaning into it, is that when you hear something that's cutting your heart, it's just back and forth and back and forth, and it's slowly breaking your heart. It's good to have your heart broken for gospel reasons. What do we do? Peter said, I know. Repent <laughs> and believe the gospel. And at, while you're at it, after all that's done, get baptized. You know where that happened? Some theologians believe that he was preaching on the southern steps of the temple, and the people could have seen the Dead Sea. It was a fulfillment of Ezekiel's dream, it was a fulfillment of Jesus' great commission. How in the world can something live that is perceived to be dead? That is precisely the heart of the gospel, and in eight weeks, precisely why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it's just a bunch of hero makers saying, I'm not a pond, I'm a river, and I'm going I'm to pour myself and flow myself into you and expect you over time to do the same thing for others. Imagine that, thousands and thousands of people responding to the gospel. Now, they didn't include women and, and children in those numbers. So who knows? Far more, in my opinion, probably far more than 3,000 people. And Jesus answered the question, how do you bring something dead to life? How do you bring something dead to life in the church? You have to shift. You have to shift from being a hero to hero maker. Start investing in other people. Don't look at discipleship like a DIY project. What do you mean, Ben? Don't look at discipleships and say, I'm going to leave that to the professionals. Peter. Peter says, <laughs> you're the professionals. You're actually a priest. Did you know that? You don't need to go to a priest because you're the priest. Actually, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 5, Peter says this, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like a living stone, are being built into the spiritual house to a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter, Jesus, Ezekiel, you're the professionals. You're the disciple makers, right? Not the staff, not the elders, not the ministry. You are. All of us are. Look around the room. If you're watching online, look around your living room, right? Stare at someone. Look at them and say, you're a hero maker. You're a hero maker. You have the potential and the capacity and the bandwidth to make Ezekiel's dream a reality, to make Jesus' dream of the Great Commission a reality, and to fulfill and make Peter's first sermon in Acts 2 a reality. Ah, if we're willing, if we're willing to be rivers and hero makers, flowing and pouring our lives into other people. For the last time this week, not ever, but this week, the series, I want to invite you to step up and step into this idea of being a hero maker. Text the word with to the 10-digit number on our screen, right? We're not waiting for the vaccine to come out 
for the whole world. We're not waiting for what, you know, as John Mayer would say, the world to change. We're going to do it now. I don't care if it's in person or it's over Zoom. This is not a Hallmark card that we read and go, well, that's a nice thing Jesus said. No, this is a command, guys. It's an expectation that Jesus has. People willing to do ministry with other people, people that are willing, like the elders at White Oak Christian Church, the leaders at White Oak Christian Church, willing to invest in three boys who, for some odd, crazy reason, ended up in ministry, leading churches with that same experience of not trying to be holier than thou or, you know, I, I, I hope I don't lead in a way where, like, you have to talk to my assistant to have a meeting with me. I don't have an assistant, right? It's that same vulnerability that we learned and we're blessed with at White Oak is what myself in New England, Nathan and Charlotte and Graham in New England are doing like that. We don't know any other way but to cut the religious crap and pour ourselves into other people. And over time, over time, you're going to change, you're going to change family lineages. You're going to change this community if we're willing to do it. So let's do it, church. Let's step up and do it. Let's pray. God, thanks for a great series on the Great Commission. Thanks, God, that you uh, invite us to do ministry with you, not for you. God, thanks that you uh, give us the precedent to think about bringing other people with us, seeing people where they could be, not as they are, shifting from knowing um, only a lot of facts about the Bible, but having no vulnerability with other people and to activate other people's gifts. Jesus, I pray that we'd step into this. I pray that over the next year, you'd give us more elders, life group leaders, ministry leaders. And I mean, I would be really wicked cool as this church grew that we, you know, hired from within and empowered more people to do ministry and more people to do ministry. And I thank you that the call is simple. It's clear. Uh, but it's not for the faint of heart. We need your, we need your help, Jesus. Uh, would you help us be a church that does not consider this sermon series as a nice idea, but something worth giving our lives to? Uh, because you thought it was worthwhile, and you asked your disciples to do it, and you're asking us to do it as well. Um, give us your guidance and your peace, Lord, as we take those two to five names that we wrote down three weeks ago to invest in that circle of friends this year. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.